Welcome to English in 10 Minutes, real, unscripted English conversations about people, places, and their stories. After you listen to the episode, visit EnglishIn10Minutes.com. Today I'm talking to my friend Reg, and Reg, you're English, but you've lived all over the world, and today we're talking about the time that you spent in Africa in the 1970s, yep. and Wendy and I were in Africa recently, so it's a topic of interest for us, and I'm sure we went to many of the same countries. So how did you wind up in Africa in the first place? Well, I um, was recruited um, by a newspaper called the Rand Daily Mail, which at the time in South Africa was um, a progressive anti-apartheid newspaper. Uh, and it seemed quite attractive, having worked in England after university on two newspapers, the Sunderland Echo up in the northeast and the Yorkshire Post. So after about three years on the Yorkshire Post, uh, we decided that it would be nice to travel a bit. And I got this offer, and um, we flew down to Johannesburg in September 1971. And so being an anti-apartheid paper, was a, it must have been difficult for it to operate during that era. It was, it was very difficult. Um, there were colleagues of mine who were locked up. Um, our phones were definitely uh, uh, bugged. And um, it was interesting because we were quite apolitical. Um, I wouldn't have gone to South Africa if I was virulently anti-apartheid. And what it taught us after five years there was that we uh, would never live under an apartheid regime um, because it was quite horrifying in the way it discriminated against the black majority. And I guess at the time that you were probably about to leave, that was when tensions were really flaring up, right? Because you had it the Soweto was, uprising in 76. It was just before Soweto uh, riots. Um, uh, and these were riots about the education system and the fact that they had to learn Afrikaans. So we'd already planned to leave, but it was quite... Um, it was quite quite propitious that um, when we arrived in Botswana, the uh, riots broke out in Soweto. Okay, so you got out just in the nick of time, I guess you could Indeed. say. Indeed. But we'd done quite a bit of planning, because unlike driving from England to South Africa, driving the other way, you're driving through black African countries, and you have to expunge all evidence that you have actually come from South Africa. Uh, okay. So that was your plan then, was to drive all the way back to England? Yep, yep. It was something we felt we had to do, because having lived in South Africa for five years, there was a certain guilt that, you know, we had a very privileged lifestyle as uh, a white in the uh, apartheid system. And we thought it would be uh, almost a cleansing to drive through other black black African countries to see the way of life um, of countries that, you know, were democratic and did have a, a black majority. And how did you go about planning this without, you know, before internet, before even guidebooks probably to these countries, how did you know whether you could cross certain borders well, or what you would it, expect? It's a very good question because um, in those days, in the mid-70s, there were quite a few countries that were going through their own internal changes. Um, so we could not predict that we'd get actually the whole way, but we certainly planned a route that we thought was the safest. Um, and I bought a combi um, uh, van uh, and I converted it, um, putting things like grills underneath to protect the engine, uh, a large roof rack where we 
put all the petrol cans. So a lot of the planning had to be done um, in order to drive with a combi van off-road. So uh, that was interesting. And we both did a three-month uh, course in engine and maintenance and servicing. Wow, so you were we, very prepared, as uh, much as yeah. you could be, I guess, and given the circumstances. I, I learned how to uh, remove a combi engine and reinstall a combi engine. So uh, we went with a level of confidence that if we broke down, we could actually get ourselves on the road again. And we got a sponsor uh, who provided all the dried food uh, for our trip back through Africa, you know, on the premise that we might not be able to buy food. Um, so, so a lot of planning was done right down to expunging made in South Africa from the tyres of the, of the combi. Wow. So it was interesting um, because on the road we met people coming from England who just got in a car and just started driving <laughs> and managed to get through. The other way you had to, you had to persuade um, the various passport controls of the countries that we in fact had not come from South Africa. So much so that I had to sell my car in Botswana or sell the combi in Botswana, repurchase it so I could get Botswana registration plates. That's amazing. Certainly a very different era. So Botswana was the first country you went into? We went into Botswana from northern Transvaal in South Africa. Um, uh, but in, to get into Botswana, we went through southern Rhodesia. Okay. With southern Rhodesia, they don't stamp your passport. They stamp a piece of paper. And so that's what's now Zimbabwe, or part of what's now Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe at the time? Yeah, it was Salisbury then, the capital is now Harare. So that was, that was a, you know, that was a first sort of confrontation with a problem um, and the concomitant of that was when we arrived in Botswana um, we had passports that obviously had South Africa in them uh, even though they didn't have Southern Rhodesia so we we pretended that our passports were stolen in Francistown and we got new post passports posted to, to us from Gaborone uh, new British passports that were totally virgin. So when we arrived in the first black African country, Zambia, we arrived with new passports. Uh, and they knew, and we knew that they knew we had actually come from South Africa, but there was absolutely no proof that we had. We just said they were stolen in Botswana and we got new ones. And that, that was, in fact, the passports we went through Africa on. That's amazing, the level of, of detail, everything that you had to go through just yeah, to because, hide the South African thing. passport control, and we must have gone through, what, 10, 15 countries, could have easily said, I'm sorry, go back. But they didn't. We, we, we got through every passport control with, our, with a bit of bribing as well, because there's a bit of an, as you will know from Africa, uh, uh, sort of bribery is, is an endemic part of the system. We consider it bribery. They just see it as a way of life. So when you went through passport control, you put money into the passports and everybody accepted that's the way you did it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you said that earlier that you wanted to experience these black majority countries. Yeah. So after Zambia and these other countries, did you get the kind of uh, experience that you'd hoped for? Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. I mean, uh, ironically, the, the, the standard of living in the country it went through uh, was far inferior in terms of development in South Africa. South Africa was almost a third world first world country, 
run by a very efficient white apartheid regime. And things worked. You know, in a lot of countries we went through, things just didn't work. You know, they were still finding their feet uh, as newly independent black African nations. Um, which was a bit of, I suppose it was a bit of a, an eye-opener because we were hoping that we'd see a similar lifestyle in Tanzania and Zambia. I mean, Zambia, for example, the first town we hit in Zambia was Livingston. And Livingston, we went into a supermarket to stock up and there was basically nothing on the shelves. Um, one thing that was on the shelf, ironically again, was the copy of a magazine uh, that I'd worked for in Cape Town. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, which is about all they had. So um, in terms of you know, sophistication of the way of life, South Africa was far ahead. <clears throat> and that meant even for the black majority, they had you know, supermarkets that were stocked full. Um, and that's still true. The gap is obviously closer than it was then, but that's yes, still true today. It is true, yes. And then did you end up getting all the way to England? Yeah, we, um, we had already planned that we'd go up the east side because it was safer. But, you know, we couldn't get through countries like Zaire, which, were in, which was then, I think, the Congo. And that, that was basically a, a bit of a mess. So we avoided that because we thought it was too dangerous. Um, and we stayed in Kenya for two or three months because we liked it a lot. That was part one of our conversation with Reg about his amazing trip through Africa in the 1970s. In the next episode, we'll bring you part two. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to English in 10 Minutes. To download a worksheet for this episode, including the most useful vocabulary and a full transcript of the conversation, visit EnglishIn10Minutes.com. Thank you.